Hi, this is Bruce Horak, and you are listening to the FSF Popcast. The show that makes Captain Picard wish he hadn't made it so. No takesies, backsies. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 38. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins in on the Gorn Hunt, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of a severed unicorn. And now, a word from our show sponsor, Level Up Savers. Their link can be found in the show notes. So our guest today is a man who plays a very popular character on the latest version of Star Trek. We are, of course, talking about Strange New Worlds. And today we're excited to welcome the man who brought the character Hammer to life, Bruce Horak. Welcome to the FSF Popcast. Nice to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited to have you here. I've been uh, I've been talking to some of my friends who are, are more versed in Trek than I am. Mm-hmm. And they're they're like, oh, oh, Strange New Worlds. That's So they're very excited. They're, they can't <laughs> wait to see this. And uh, we're excited to have you here to talk about it. So normally at the head, at the outset of any interview uh, that we have here, I always like to talk to people about their their backstories because we're nerds and we love origin stories. <laughs> but I got to talk to you about the return of the Gorn in episode nine. <laughs> I, I really do. And I'm sure you've, you've talked a lot about this, and I hope you're not sick of talking about it yet. You're jumping right to the end. <laughs> I, I know, right? He skipped the whole book and looking at the last page. I, I did, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm the well, same way. You know, the thing is for me is that Strange New Worlds is the, was kind of like my gateway drug. It's what's getting mm. me interested in, into Star Trek because I've never been that big of a Star Trek fan before this. But that episode, holy bejesus. I was on the edge of my seat almost the entire time. I said, oh, wow, I don't know how many times. There was that, there's that Owen Wilson th- meme of him going, wow, wow. That yeah, was me. Yeah. That was me for, for the entirety of the episode. It was like Alien versus Predator versus Star Trek. It was fantastic. Mm. That was an extremely intense episode. And I was wondering if there is something behind the scenes that we don't know about as fans that helped make that, that episode special for you. Oh, so much. I I had been anticipating that episode since I was cast in the role. They had told me that Hemmer was going to go and that it was going to be uh, a good death, that it was going to be a bit of all right. And so I'd uh, I'd been looking forward to that. So reading the script itself was just awesome. I was so excited to to get to do that, to actually get to, you know, flip the Vulcan salute and jump out the back of the ship and all of that. I mean, it's just a, it's a hero's death. And I think, you know, that's what every actor hopes for is a good death scene or, you know, a sequel or a series of sequels really. But uh, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to shoot. I mean, the whole setup of it was just like the, the, the environment of the, of the set was, was done up as a horror film. So even when we weren't on camera, there were flickering lights in the hallways and they kept sick bay real cool for us when we were between takes. And, you know, we just had this environment of shooting a horror film and, uh, yeah, that was a riot. Um, 
uh, I, I think I lost a lot of sleep while we shot that one just because, you know, it gets under your skin when you're spending a whole day in, in a in a fun house, basically. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, I was holding out hope there uh, at the end of that episode that you that your character was going to make it. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, because they were like, oh, we'll we'll do this and we'll fix you. And we'll <laughs> if we have time. So many and options. Then, Right. And then Hemmer Swan dives off that. I'm like, no, no, that, that's 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 going to do it for him right there. Unless he's got a rocket strapped to him. He's done. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. And there's been it's actually great. I've, I've been really enjoying reading all of the speculations and, uh, you know, the ideas of how to bring Hammer back. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing the uh, the creativity and the imagination that people are employing to find a way you know they don't want to break canon they don't want to lose the sacrifice that he's done but how do we how do we bring him back and you know i i, I must admit that uh, behind the scenes we sat around and came up with a few other a few ideas of our own as to how hammer returns <laughs> in season three four or five or six or perhaps he jumps over to discovery timeline or does the gorn hatch out of him and and is half gorn half uh, Enar, and so battles with its own pacifist nature. Uh, the son of oh, Hammer. Oh, that would be fun. Um, yeah, and, and then the, the child of Hammer teams up with the child of Lon, and then they go in a sort of a cop buddy film. And anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a whole other spinoff, maybe a comic book. Um, yeah, we we could really dig in there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I was uh, I I honestly think that he was one of the one of the characters that I've enjoyed the most throughout the, the series because I liked his stoicism that, you know, he didn't really get shook by much. And even when things like even in episode eight, uh, which by the way, I have a chronically ill daughter so that, that episode rocked me to tears. Hmm. The, the, that was, oof. um, that was a little brutal. Uh, yeah. but I liked, even when everything was kind of going awry, you know, Hammer's just like, yeah, we can take care of this. And he just, he just, he was just kind of just, you know, very on, on the level, just uh, very chill, just kind of, kind of taking care of things. Yeah. He's the kind of engineer you want to have in a sticky situation. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, um, the reason he's so stoic is because you had so many prosthetics on your face that it's hard to portray emotion. <laughs> Does that make it a little easier? That actually leads to my next question, Tim. Is it okay if I interrupt you here? And, oh, absolutely. And take Jump over for in. a moment. Yeah, I would love to know, uh, given the you know the limitations of your facial movements because of all the prosthetics and the makeup and the so forth, what is the hardest emotion to portray? And how hard is it to be scared when you're talking to a puppet or a puppeteer? Uh. <laughs> It, the the prosthetics are actually incredibly uh, flexible. There's there's I think it's a 15 piece or 13 pieces individual wow. pieces that are glued on to the face. So there's quite a bit of articulation, uh, mm -hmm. which is surprising considering just how, how dense it looks. But uh, yeah, it can get quite a bit out of there. Dealing with the puppeteers was a riot. I mean, they they were just spectacular moving those Gorn around and, you know, they would keep them alive between takes and uh, goof around a little bit. That's it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think we got, we got some, some decent uh, behind the scenes shots of, you know, hammer with his kids. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to officially request a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the website, does the dog die for people like me who can't handle a film where there's, oh. you know, a possibility that the dog dies. So there's does oh. the dog die.com that tells you in advance if you, 
want to watch a movie or not because the dog makes it or doesn't make it. Oh, I and I no think idea. we need a similar one for favorite characters like this, <laughs> where we get to a little advance notice so we can sort of steal ourselves for it. Well, he is in a red shirt from the start. And uh, I wore my red shirt true. today in honor of Hammer. Excellent. <laughs> Very well done. So since Tim didn't go through it and he jumped to the last page of the book, we do love backstories. We may or not be collecting them for to see if you become the hero or the villain in your story. Just kidding. Um, but <laughs> so what is your backstory that got you into acting? My dad was a high school drama teacher and a English teacher. And my mother is a writer and a bit of a Renaissance woman, really um, musician and singer and, uh, and all of it. So I'm the youngest of four boys and I grew up in a family of artists. So there was always, music and theater and drawing and painting and just everything happening in the house all the time. So it was kind of a, a foregone conclusion that I would follow in some degree in the arts. Um, and uh, yeah, all the way through, you know, high school um, and into college, I, I studied theater. So it, uh, it kind of led me on that path. I never thought I would get into film and TV. I thought I would always be in the live, like the performing arts. Um, and then the casting call went out for Star Trek. Then my agent said, you know, you should, uh, you should seriously consider this. And it, you know, just landed right there in front of me. They were looking for a blind or visually impaired performer specifically. And because I'm uh, legally blind, it just seemed like, okay, this is, the door is finally open for me here in this industry, which can be pretty, pretty closed. And, um, and also that it was Star Trek and I'd been a Star Trek fan since I was a kid. And so it just seemed like this is a golden opportunity that I, I absolutely couldn't miss. And so put my hat in the ring. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was walking under the bridge of the Enterprise. So just a, a kind of a follow up to Nick's question here. Just this just kind of popped in my head because now, you know, as an actor, you, you talked about all these different mediums that you had participated in, though, growing up. So, you know, we know you as an actor, but pre-interview, we talked a little bit about the, the images behind you that you've painted there's a guitar sitting next to you on the floor. Oh, yeah. It slowly moved its way and it snuck up on yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> is there a, a medium that you enjoy more than anything? Like, you know, it, if you had your druthers, is there one that you'd say like, you know, this is where I would like to hang my hat and this is what I want to be known for? Oh boy, that changes daily, um, almost weekly. I just finished doing um, a, a run of a play in Toronto, which closed on Thursday and whatever day, it's Saturday now. Uh, and I came back to my hometown of Stratford and I've been in the studio painting all day, um, working on, a, on my portrait series. So it really depends on the day. Today, I would, there's nothing I would rather be doing than, than painting. And tomorrow I've got to do some music composition. And I'm sure when I'm doing that, I'll be like, this is, this is all I want to do. <laughs> uh, I, get, I get itchy feet really fast and not just physically, but I think creatively as well. I moved to Toronto, Ontario when I was about 24 years old. And that was specifically to pursue a career in acting. But I immediately got the bug for writing and doing clown and live music and improv. And I just found that it didn't really matter what 
I wanted to do in Toronto, there's somebody who's willing to to go there with you and jump on the on the bandwagon if there isn't already a bandwagon, you know, moving down the street. And I find that kind of creative uh, drive and flexibility to be really exciting. Um, I put my stuff into storage about 22 years ago, and I just went on the road and I would go gig to gig, and whatever gig would come up, whether it was acting or painting or doing music, I would just say yes to it. And uh, to me, that's just that's just the best way to live. It's a very creative life. It's it's never the same day twice. And, um, you know, if I'm going to, I look back on the last 20 years of my career and I, I really can't pin as one as being like, that was the thing I wanted to be known for or wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. I think uh, having options. <laughs> if there's one thing I want to be known for, it's a guy with options. <laughs> I think I we'll think just that... W Renaissance guy and leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. There you go. No, I think I think that's a great answer. Honestly, everything I draw starts with a circle or an oval, great. Um, and, and it doesn't it doesn't progress well from there. But if I was able to do paintings and things like that, I think that, that I can see where that would be appealing. Where you know you you have these different options of things that you can do to express your your creativity. So, no, I I think that's great. Thank you, thank you. I belong to a rather large uh, Star Trek fan club. And so I put it out there that, hey, we're going to be talking with Bruce, uh, you know, and is there anything that you guys want to ask him? So we have, I think, three or four questions uh, from people inside the fan group who are are very curious about a few things. So here we go. Uh, Aaron Matt Daniels asked, how much of his own personality did he put into Hammer? Hammer and I are not alike. <laughs> uh he's really like he's a very very high status individual um he he's really competent which i am not um he's uh he's a genius and he and he tells people which i wouldn't i don't think i would ever do that yeah there's there's a lot about hammer that i admire for sure i i wish i had his sort of super human incredible ability to see with his telepathy god that would be great but it was um you know that character arrived on the page and and really it was just about finding um kind of finding a way in for me and i i dug into the people that i know who are uh really high status and who are geniuses and uh well i would never tell them this but um you know a little arrogant <laughs> sure sure <laughs> do you find it easier to play characters that are are not similar to your own personality or do you enjoy that or I do enjoy that. You know, that was a that was a big part of why I wanted to get into acting in the first place was being able to to step into somebody else's experience and and walk a little bit in their shoes. I love that. Um, to me, it's a it's an exercise in empathy and compassion to put your to literally you know embody somebody else uh, to see the world from their point of view. I mean, even when you're playing, a, I mean, yeah, the the delight of playing a bad guy is that they don't think they're bad, so you you get to kind of. <laughs> you know, flex a bit of those muscles and pretend to be somebody else. Um, I find that really appealing. Is it, uh, you know, I've, I've done some shows where it really is just a reflection of myself and I'm standing on stage and speaking. And to me, that just feels more like public speaking than acting. To me, acting is that chance to to go somewhere else. Um, I was lucky that with Star Trek, that they were looking for someone with a lived experience of being visually impaired. But to me, Hemmer's not. I mean, he sees better than, better than Daredevil. Agreed. 
A nice reference, too. Good job. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite. Nice. <laughs> nice. So I have another question from the Star Trek group, and this one came from Zach Patterson. And Zach wants to know, what was your favorite moment on set? Oh, yeah, this just leaps to mind right away. But uh, Celia and I were sitting in the green room um, at the AR wall waiting to go on with our spacesuits on or something. And we got talking about food and I mentioned how I'm a big fan of popcorn. And then the next time we went on set, came back and there was a huge bag of popcorn on my seat for me. Because that's the kind of person Celia is. She listens and she takes care of people. It sounds like the on the set that was, you know, sort of the basic uh, Oh, yeah. Everybody everybody. was just... So thrilled to be there, um, to be working on this. And you would, it's <laughs> so funny. Like, one of the first questions you'd get is, So, are you a Star Trek fan? Are you a Star Trek fan? <laughs> uh, and, and immediately, that just the stories of, uh, you know, how people come to the series, what got them interested in it, what their favorite, you know, takes of it were. And, yeah. And, and for me, I mean, I grew up watching the Enterprise flying through the cosmos. So to walk onto that set and, you know, getting to pick up a communicator or play with a tricorder mm-hmm. at one point, it was scratching off all the bucket list items. And yeah, <laughs> you have to play a really high status cranky guy, but you've got a big smile on your face. <laughs> okay, we, can't see it under the, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't see the smile under the 15 pieces of prosthetic that that's good yeah <laughs> so so did you at certain points go out of your way on set to do certain things on your little bucket list there i, I there was a couple of moments yeah i snuck on <laughs> i did sneak on to a shuttle pod uh and had a few photos of hammer in his wizard outfit uh pretending to fly the shuttle just because that seemed really like something he needed to do and yeah in between takes i would often um just kind of let my hands wander a little bit just to uh, <laughs> just to get it i'm like are these are these like are these jujubes or what what are these candy buttons and yeah <laughs> nice doesn't everybody have to at least throw themselves against the railing once or twice when just, <laughs> yeah set, just do the star know? trek shake yeah right <laughs> <laughs> It was brought up earlier about the emotions through prosthetics and, mm. and you know, some people can find it hard to portray different emotions. And I would imagine you would use body language a little bit more when portraying emotions. Mm-hmm. So what would be one piece of advice or a technique that you would suggest for someone that wanted to improve on their acting abilities? Breathing. I think it's something that uh, it's the it's the, the fundamentals of uh, working with emotion is finding where it sits in the breath and then breathing from that place. If if you find fear in your gut or if you find uh, you know confidence in your the chest out and the full breath, then start with that and the rest of it will come. Um, I think uh, a lot of actors are are connected to that and then finding the emotional sound. For me, when when I put the when I finally had the the whole hammer look on. Uh, the first thing I did was kind of get my camera out and zoom in on the face and, and figure out what the sound was that this kind of face would make. And underneath the prosthetics, I kind of felt the felt my way around through it and then let it drop into the body. And yeah, finding a way into uh, to where the breath sits and how the breath moves through the body and the sound that then comes from that kind of breathing. And then the voice will emerge. Hmm. All right. Excellent. Awesome. Strange New Worlds was a pretty appropriate title for me, at least. Because uh, the show has opened up Star Trek for me. I've actually gone back, started watching the original series from the beginning uh, because of Strange New Worlds. I've always been more of a Star Wars guy 
I've always been on that side of the camp. That's where I've been hanging out, maybe <laughs> teasing some of the guys on the Trek side a little sure. bit. Sure. Or, or a lot. <laughs> uh, I love uh, it. But for someone like me who's kind of been sitting on the fence, uh, so yeah. to speak, what would you say the attraction of this show is to them and why they should give it a chance? Because the Star Trek performers will have a stuffed Wookiee doll during their interview. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they understand the value of a good prop. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing, the thing that always appealed to me about Star Trek um, was just kind of the general tone of optimism and working together and that humanity ultimately finds a way through together and and that the the next mission is not one of conquest is not one of colonization it's, it's exploration it's about uh, seeing what's out there meeting what's out there uh, and coming to an understanding of it and that that to me that general um, kind of mo around the uh, around the, the premise of the series is one that I, I just keep coming back to and I, I feel like strange new worlds is is definitely just hitting it on hitting the nail on the head with uh, with with the stories that they're telling around that and how, you know, there's, there's going to be general conflict with this, with, uh, when, you know, when you leave your front door, but, uh, how do you do it and how do you find another way through? Um, yeah, that to me is the, is the appeal of the series. Yeah. I think one of the things I like about it is that it does have that more of a science fiction feel to it where it's, it's the optimism of the human race and moving forward and, and how, you know, exactly what you just said, the, res the resolution of conflict. Whereas in Star Wars, you know, we just whip out a laser sword and cut you in half, you know, and call it a day. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but Star Wars, you know, that oh, no, not to go, go off on that, but, um, you know, it gets it gets into the it gets into the good and evil battle. And oh, I sure, think that's, yeah. that's just, you know, it's always makes for compelling um, viewing when you're just when you when you just separated your camps and it's very obvious and very clear and we, you know we get some some threads into why we become evil but star trek gets into the question of you know what is the nature of evil and is something evil just because it's on the other side of the fence from you that that kind of thing so um yeah there there are two very different types of storytelling but uh cool effects eh Ab oh absolutely <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah. So there was another question from the Star Trek group that um, I yes. would like to know the answer to as well. So Ken Buckler asks, would you be open to a Hammer origin story? Yes, sir. Thank you, Ken. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any theories on on what that might look like or some of the pieces we might find out? Oh, it's a uh, it's a 12 movie deal. And um, no. <laughs> what does it look like? I, yeah, I'm curious about that. I mean, there's there's so little you know, of the detail of, of what his life was before um, the series that it just feels like a wide open book. I could, mm. yeah, I could write it. I mean, the, the, the question of how old he is even, does he have a family? What, what does, what does the Enar family look like? Um, we know that there's only a thousand of them left uh, and that they're reclusive and that they're pacifists. But beyond that, like the, the society and the culture is just kind of wrapped up in mystery but his personal story of how he how he comes to join starfleet and the conflict with well he's go going essentially into a military style organization and as a pacifist that must have that must have caused some rifts that must have certainly caused some some big questions coming mm -hmm. to the realization or or this understanding as he does i think he talks about it in episode four about um not fighting 
but we'll fight for the ideals. And that's a really, to me, that's a really clear line in the sand mm -hmm. for someone to, to come to. And was there ever a point where he crossed that? Yeah, mm -hmm. that'd be great. Mm -hmm. The prequel of the prequel. That's nice. it. My, is my prequel. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking they're such a self-sacrificing race that they are that's why they're dwindling in numbers yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> it's not the best evolutionary strategy maybe <laughs> <laughs> so we have a Facebook group it has over 204,000 members and it is just filled with memes memes yes yes so what universe or nerdiverse would you think it would be fun to just pick hammer up and drop them in i only just recently got into playing dungeons and dragons uh during the pandemic and uh i think <laughs> i ended up because I, I couldn't talk about it with the friends that i was playing D D with but i think a lot of the, the the wizard characters that i was picking character traits and all that that i was picking out were kind of drawn loosely around hammer so i think he would actually fit very well into the campaign that i was playing and then when when i got to actually when hammer got to dress up as a wizard i kind of just thought this is almost too perfect he he needs to live <laughs> he needs to live there I was I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to drop him into uh, David Tennant's Doctor Who, oh, and have him and te have him and Tennant go back and forth. The <laughs> the 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 discussions and arguments between the two of them would be fantastic. Truly, mm -hmm. truly. So. Have you ever done a portrait of Hemmer? Uh, I did a digital one. I haven't done an acrylic painting of him yet, but I did do a digital uh, portrait of, of Hammer for the um, Six, Sick Kid Foundation in Edmonton, Alberta. They were doing a Wonderful. fundraiser. Yeah. Oh, Wonderful. Is that a portrait or a self-portrait then? <laughs> <laughs> it's an acrylic selfie. Mm, Not very yeah, meta. <laughs> truly. <laughs> Both sides of my brain to answer that question. There you go. <laughs> Well, Bruce, we're at a point in the, in our show where we like to take our guests through a little bit of a quiz. Okay. But before we get into that quiz, just we had we kept mentioning that Star Trek group. So before we get into the quiz, on behalf of many of the Trek fans, we all want to thank you for Hammer. Um, seriously, we, uh, he was an amazing character, and you expertly brought him to life. And uh, many people are anxious to see what you do next because of your work on Star Trek. So uh, before we get into the quiz. Just thank you for that. Really well done, sir. My pleasure. My pleasure. All yeah. right. <laughs> now for the quiz. Okay. This quiz is called Talking Trek. So it's four questions. All questions are multiple choice. Okay. All right. If you get three out of the four correct, we're gonna we'd like to send you a book. And the book is called The Custodians of the Cosmos. It's it's written uh, by Drayton Allen, who also is Nick's dad. Um, but it's all about a young man who goes and joins something quite like Starfleet and, but not Starfleet, you know, litigious reasons. He washes out and is able to rejoin as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who had boldly just went. No. Oh, yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds hilarious. Yeah. So if you get three of the four questions correct, we'll send you the book. Yeah, I'm going to try. If you get... 50%, so two questions or less, correct? We take your picture, we make a meme out of you, and we put you in our in our, our <laughs> Facebook group. We call it our fun sequence. Awesome. <laughs> Do you agree to that? What happens if I don't get any right? <laughs> oh, you definitely get a meme. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> Great. I need to be a meme. 
Let's do it. There you go. All right. <laughs> what is the name of Data's evil twin <laughs> brother? Is it Lore? Lore, A. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two, who was temporarily the captain of the Enterprise while Picard was captured by the Cardassians? Arthur Peck, Miles O'Brien, or Edward Jellicoe? And that's the Cardassians, not the Kardashians, which is a very, very different sort of kidnapping. <laughs> that's right. This is the, there are five lights episode. Okay. Uh, four lights. Oh my Lord. Uh, I'm going to say Miles O'Brien. I think it's B. I'm going to give you a second chance. Oh, I guess it's, oh, what were the other two? It was Arthur Peck or Edward Jellicoe. I don't know. I think it's C. I'm going to guess. C. Ding, 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 ding. It <laughs> is Edward go. Jellicoe. Very good. What is the principle of Starfleet's prime directive? Is it A, diplomacy and nonviolence, B, non-intervention, or C, exploration and scientific study? B? Yes. You are correct. That's two and a half correct. <laughs> just above meme. You're just above meme. Going for the book. Going for the book. All right. Number four. Which of the following was not a founding species of the United Federation of Planets, a collection of governments based on universal liberty and equality? A, the Andorians. B, the Tellarites. Or C, and I'm going to say this wrong, the Beat, Beat, Beat Betazoids. 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 Uh, C, Betazoids. Very you good. You are correct. Very good. That's a book, sir. Yes. Woo! All right. <laughs> Very good. You had you... me with the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Bruce, so much for being on the show today. Where could our listeners go to find out more about like your paintings and other things that you work on? Well, I do have a website that I maintain. Um, I've also got a Patreon page, which is becoming more and more active, which is great. So I do weekly, uh, sometimes daily updates of what I'm up to on Patreon. My name, Bruce Horak, on that. Um, also, to let your listeners know, in case they're in Canada and happen to be around Ottawa, I'm opening my solo show, my one-person show, Assassinating Thompson, at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa, running July 26th to the 31st. And that's a show where I paint a portrait of the entire audience while I tell the story of how I became one of Canada's only visually impaired visual artists, and I solve the mystery of who killed Tom Thompson, who was an iconic Canadian painter. And I do it all in 75 minutes, and then I auction off the portrait of the audience for a local charity. Awesome. awesome. Fantastic. Check me out at brucehorak.com or patreon.com slash brucehorak. Nice. Very Thank good. you. We will make sure those get put into our show description so listeners can check them out. Thank you very much. All right. We also want to remind people that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to help oh. our show continue to grow and get more amazing guests like Bruce Horak here to have these funny moments and yeah. things for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us to continue to grow, like I said. But also go check out Bruce's uh, pages there at Patreon and also uh, his website. Like was mentioned, those will be in the links below. But if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, the Gorn. Only Captain <laughs> Kirk can successfully avoid their terror with a rightly placed Kirk foo chop to the back of the neck. But the rest of us are just Gorn baby incubators and meals on wheels once those babies hatch. These terrifying reptilian creatures will stop at nothing to ensure that your complaint will be handled, though. But on the other hand, we also can't ensure that they won't take a bite out of the complainer, too. So keep that in mind when you complain about Nick later. Thanks again, Bruce. 
<laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks Thank for watching, you. everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Podcast or go to www.fsfpodcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.